Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story, they are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Welcome to Kingdom Stories, this is Nathaniel and tonight with me in the studio I have Glenn Jenkins. He is one of the fathers of our city, a powerful mighty man of God who has worked in many many ministries and helped so many people, mentored people, worked with people in transition, built up ministries and uh, it's just humbling to, to be in his presence here tonight and I can't wait to hear what he has prepared for us, just to simply share. I'm sure there's a lot to say, but uh, let's just capture as much as possible tonight. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. You know, I love the idea of the Father's heart. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that on your bio, that you know you were connected with the Father's heart in New Zealand, I thought, this guy's apostolic. You know, he understands the heart of God. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think that transition that the Lord is bringing us through in this era, it's just beautiful. So certainly it's something that has really grabbed hold of me in the, in the last six years in particular. Yeah. Um, I watched a, um, a video from Bethel in uh, 2016. A lot, of us, a lot of things have happened for us since that year. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was a man by the name of Paul Manwaring. I know Paul very well. Uh -huh. And he was he was actually speaking in 2015 on Father's Day. Yep. Anyway, we were listening to it in 2016. Yep. And as I was listening to it, um, two questions at the end of it came to my mind, which I said to my wife. I said, "How do I become a son? And how do I get the heart of a son?" And I thought this is crazy. I'm 60 plus. Yep. Um, but how do I get to be a son, and how do I get the heart of a son? I mean, I mean I'm obviously born, and born again as well. Um, but that's been a, a, two questions which I wondered how on earth that was going to be answered, to be absolutely honest. Yeah. Uh, but in the grace of God, um, it was answered in a, an amazing way, which I'll share for, for a time. And uh, what, why those questions really was because as a young man, uh, my father and I didn't get along. And uh, it was a bit of a battle for him and a bit of a battle for me. And um, we never really saw eye to eye. But uh, one of the things that happened shortly before he passed, and I didn't know he was going to pass, of course, um, I felt the Lord said, um, go down and see your dad. He lived about 90 miles away from where I was. Yes. And he said, I, I want you to ask his forgiveness and forgive him. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness. Um, because really, in many ways, I think, I now understand that I cut him off. And so he really didn't have the opportunity to father me at all. Yeah. And so I just became a person with just living my own life as I found it. And, um, uh, you know, I didn't have too much experience of life then. But you get all kinds of experiences when you don't know what you're doing. And... Uh, I came to faith when I was 25. So. so you went to him? I did. I got in the car and I drove down to near Bristol in England. Yeah. And I sat in the car park and thought, do I do this or don't I do this? And I thought, well, I've got to do it. The Lord said to do it. 
So I knocked on the door and my mother was there, oh, Glenn, you've come. Yeah. And then dad came out of his room where he was almost, um, what I can say, he very rarely came out of his room. Mm. And uh, I said to him, dad, I just want to say sorry for not being a good son. And uh, I want to apologize the best I know how for that. And, and I forgive you for all the, uh, the things that happened uh, that I took exception to. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, I said, what are you trying to do? I thought we'd already done that. And, you know, you're trying to um, uh, condemn me. What are you trying to do? Anyway, uh, Daddy spun on his, on his um, heels and uh, walked off into his room, shut the door, and that was the last I saw him. Wow. Then. Um, I th when I walked out of the house, I thought to myself, I was free of something. I didn't quite know what. Um, it was just free of something. Yeah. And uh, so I drove home and um, uh, about, I saw him twice after that. Um, and he was in hospital. Yeah. And uh, I was at a Christian camp in England. Yeah. And uh, I remember on the, on the, the night, this particular night, talking to a guy around the bonfire, and uh, I said to him this, I said, I am who I am because of my father. Yeah. But I know this, that the blood of Jesus has taken the poison out of the wound. Mm. That's what I said that night. The next day, in the, in the morning, I walked up to the camp office, and there on a, on a whiteboard hanging on the door of the office was Glenn Jenkins, your father died last night. Yeah. And uh, you can imagine that really sort of... Uh, how old were you? Uh, how old was I? Oh, about uh, 22, something. So he wasn't that old? He was. Yes, he was. He was... Because um, they had me when I was... When, when they were older. My mother was 46 when I was born. Yeah. So uh, a bit like being living with my grandparents as much as anything else. And they were always tired because I'm just a young tanker. And but there we are. So that was a bit of a shock, as you can imagine. And I remember going into the camp tent and the rain was absolutely pouring down. And I remember looking at it as they were singing, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And the rain was coming down outside the actual door, um, just like a net curtain. Yeah. It was astonishing. And, so you um, were on a camp? We were on a camp, yeah. With we, the church or? Uh, with some friends from the church. Yeah. It was a Pentecostal church here, uh, camp in, uh, in England. It's mm -hmm. actually up in uh, the Lake District. Yeah. So that was a bit of a shock to me. And um, so that was it, really. You know, I, I had no idea Dad was going to die, of course. But I I've often thought back on that and thought, oh, thank goodness I did that. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a whole bit of difference about asking forgiveness and not really understanding why or how. But I've come to understand that it's even more important to actually forgive from the heart. Yeah. Um, you can forgive from the head. Yeah. And you know, you, you, you almost get the feeling like, um, well, I've forgiven that person. But why is it I don't feel released, released from it? Um, but there's a scripture in um, Matthew 18, about th verse 34, um, which talks about a tormentor. Now, I don't believe God wants to torment us, but just the feelings of unforgiveness tend to stir us up in such a way that um, we can't release it. Yeah. And um, there he said, 
so will it be that a person will be like that if they don't forgive from their heart. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a big thing for me because a, a large way that I actually handled the whole situation uh, with my father was by um, doing a lot of mind type stuff. You know, I was an engineer. Uh, yeah. Training to be an engineer, and I did a lot of training in that, and uh, did a lot of soccer, and I got up to sixty games a season at one point. Wow, it's crazy, really, isn't it? You wouldn't look at it now, but there you go. And uh, in England or here? In England, yeah, on pitches that were like that. You know, you you wanted to you wanted to actually win the toss so you could go up here on the first half and downhill the second half. <laughs> Do it the other way, and the odds are you you lose. You know, but um, yeah, so I enjoyed I enjoyed my soccer. It was great. But that got me out of the house, really. I didn't have to face up to all that was going on back home. And, uh, yeah, well, that's the way it was. So you grew up in Wales? Or in no, I, I grew up in, in uh, Birmingham. Okay. In England. It's the second largest city in Birmingham. Very yeah. industrial. Very industrial, yeah, yeah. And uh, so when, when I left school, I became an apprentice with the British Post Office. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was up the poles, down the manholes, working pulling cables and doing all that sort of stuff. So the post office did everything, they did? Yeah, it was always, the, it, yeah, it was called the post office, but it did the telecommunications side, as okay. and the postal people did that, did that side of it as well. And so I was involved in the engineering side, which I really enjoyed, actually. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so... Coax cables everywhere? Yeah, oh, well, with, uh, with radio, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got involved in the whole job lot. And, uh, which is a great experience, actually, because, uh, you, you, yeah, I just enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, as a kid, soccer was the big... Oh, yeah, yeah. and cricket. Big. And I, cricket? I enjoyed cricket, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was a, a junior member of the Warwickshire County Cricket Club. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been interested in cricket, there's a cricket ground in Birmingham called Edgbaston. Okay. And I was a junior member of that uh, club, and I'd go there after school, and I'd watch them play cricket. Yeah. And some of the great players, you know, Gary Sobers, some would know of him, and uh, Rohan Kanai, and Alvin Carriageran. But there were some more, MJK Smith, AC Smith, all these people, I remember them. And Warwickshire won the county championship one year, so that was, that was just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I really enjoyed that side of life, yeah. Uh, most uh, other siblings, brother, sister? I have a sister, she's uh, nearly nine years older than me, mm -hmm. and uh, she lives in England with her. Family, yeah. Um, she's got how many grandkids? Uh, about six or seven. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So she enjoys that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when did you meet your wife? When? Um, when did I meet my wife? Back 1968. When you were finishing your apprenticeship, or while you were doing that? Uh, I'd finished my apprenticeship, and I looked around for a place that I could get the quickest promotion I could find. Yeah. And I found this place which was designing telephone exchanges. Okay. And so I went to work there because I thought if there's engineers there, I could become like them if I actually found that place. And so I ended up at 18 designing major telephone exchanges um, and they just checked it over, but they, they seemed to be happy. Oh, I was very happy. And um, so I got promoted quite quickly. Wonderful. Which was great. And they then went off to university uh, uh, after doing some other studies as well. So that's at the University of Birmingham. It's called 
University of Aston in Birmingham. It wasn't the posh one, it was the one where everybody else goes. And it was telecommunications or? It was electrical engineering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I eventually became a childhood engineer, electrical engineer. And nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had fun in there. How did you meet your wife? How did I meet my wife? It was on uh, April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, she was there with her friend, and I was there with my friend. And I thought, well, let's dance with these ladies. And so what we, was it? Was it a... Um, it, it was at the Methodist church, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were going to church? Uh, not really, no. I, I was One of the football clubs I was part of was actually associated with the Methodist church in, okay. in Longbridge, which you'll have heard of where the cars used to come from. Okay. And um, so, yeah. So that's how I, I went to this, uh, this... It was a Monday night, a Tuesday night dance thing. So I danced with her and her friends, and that was it. That was the start of it all. Wow. And two years later, we got married in that same church. <laughs> That's cute. I'm still not a Christian. <laughs> was she? Uh, she was, yeah. And amazing, really, because I wouldn't have thought, I would never have recommended that. But um, what actually happened was that she said, well, uh, what's it going is it, is it right or is it not? We said, yeah, it's going to be all right. Yeah. So that was it. And so she, she, she married me, and I'm glad of that. We've been married ever since. So 51 years. 51, coming 52. Mm. Well done, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Children? We have three children. My eldest one is 49 this year, then 44, a son, and another daughter who's 44, no, what is it, what is she? 42. And is she, are they in Perth? Or? They're all in Perth. Yeah, they're all in Perth. And so you've got grandkids all? Got nine grandkids. Ah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, we've got uh, four grandsons and five granddaughters. Amazing. So it's, 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 it's great. What was your wife working? Uh, what was she doing at the time? My wife was a teacher's training college when I met her. Mm -hmm. And then she finished that and uh, got, we got married. And um, I finished my last year at uni, first year of marriage. And uh, she, um, she started teaching at a second run school in Birmingham. So what brought you to Australia? There's a long story, have you got enough time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can, uh, we can uh, jump through some hoops and get there. <laughs> Maybe take the plane, not the, not the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why I came to Australia started one day when I was finishing a thesis. Okay. And uh, I'd already said to Isabel, I said, look, why do you go to church? Because I wasn't a Christian, but we'd moved to a place called Bromsgrove, which is a country town outside Birmingham. And uh, she decided she wanted to go to church. And so she went and she came back home and said, will you come with me next week? So being the dutiful husband, I said, yeah, I'll come with you. And uh, we got to, got to the church the following Sunday and it scared me stiff. To be honest, it wasn't what they said, um, the, the preacher. Yes. No, it was the relationship between the people. Wow, the love. The love. It was very real. And it scared me to stiff. I remember seeing a guy when they were on the, on the steps of the church as well as coming out. And he was so smiling, wanted to get to know me. But me, being me, I just wanted to get away. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it, they really grabbed me and. Um, took hold of us as a family, which was, which was great, because we just had our, our daughter. Yes. And uh, our first daughter. 
and um, they just loved us. And um, there was there was one day um, we came home and found a box of chocolates and fruit and stuff like that on the doorstep. Nice. Yeah, I know who it's from, mm -hmm. but there was no note. No. On that, and um, that was just uh, practical reaching out to us yeah. in love, and. Um, and so for me, I suppose, I, I started to be listening to what they were saying in, in uh, preaching. Yeah. The voice of the people was much louder than what they were preaching, to be absolutely honest. And I, I remember um, thinking, this is starting to make sense. Mm. And um, anyway, eventually, I found out later that there was a group of them, about six or seven of them, that were actually praying for me. Wow. Around the corner, on the same estate that we were living on, in this place called Armstrong. They were all from the same church. Yeah. Obviously, they were praying for other things as well. Sure. But, but um, there, there was just this sense of I was being drawn in. And uh, one night I went with uh, Carol and Graham, these were friends from around the corner, yes. uh, to a, a Dave Pope evangelistic meeting. And um, it was interesting, you know, but I, I wasn't phased too much by it. But uh, they came around and they talked with me for quite a long time, I went home about one o'clock in the morning. Mm. Anyway, uh, the next morning I went to work. The thing is, I, I forgot to say, that coming back from the church one day, I said to his wife, I said, why do you go to church? And you know, the way which sometimes wives don't appreciate. Yes. <laughs> and, and I said, well, um, because I, my belief is this, if this thing is real, then it's the only thing worth having. Yes. If it's not, let's not quit, no, let's not do it. Yeah. I've only got one life, let's not. Go this way, and so um, anyway, having gone listened to Karen Graham that that one night, the next day I went to work and I was sitting there in my office. I was in charge of development laboratory, sure, and um, just sitting there with my desk there and my four drawer filing cabinet, all that kind of stuff. And I said, Lord, if you're real, come into my life and show me you're real. <laughs> and he did in that office. I didn't see him. Yes, and it's. It, I, one thing I found about spiritual things, it can change in you, mm. and you know there's a change, but actually you can't explain it to anybody. No. You know it's happened. Yeah. It has happened. I can't explain it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, Carol came around later that I just come. That's right, she was actually at home when I got there. And uh, she said, you know, Birmingham accent, what's happened to you? <laughs> I said, I think I've asked Jesus into my life. She said, oh, he must have come then, mustn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the start of a, of a whole new way of living, really. He must have come. Yeah, he must have come. Yeah, so we ended up helping out with the youth group and the, the church itself was voluntarily on fire. What church was it? It was, it was uh, Baptist Church. Baptist Church, nice. Yeah. Um, Did you get baptised? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were... Immersed? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Might as well do the whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> Both of you? Or yes. she had been before? Um, she had, but she got baptised the same, same time. Nice. Yeah. So that, that was just, um, it was great, really. And uh, so I got, got very lively in that whole thing, and I played the guitar, so um, we really enjoyed, um, met a group, and I uh, used to go to folk groups, and folk clubs and things like that, and play the kazoo. And of course, the people that were in the, in the church were, were a little bit more musical than that. They were very good musically. Um, 
but I was a little bit of a sort of chap. And um, I remember becoming a part of this group, which they were going around to various things, and I got the kazoo out at the end of one, and they were not thrilled by that. You know, that they, they were not sure about it. I enjoyed it, mm. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's in music there to be enjoyed. Nice. Yeah. In Australia? Australia, what brought you here? Oh yeah, well, let me just keep on going then. Yeah. <laughs> um, got filled with the spirit about a year later. In a Baptist church? Uh, on a train. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I'd almost given up the Christian faith because I said, this is all power, isn't it? There's not enough. And uh, a lady walked up to me uh, about three months earlier and said, I believe the Lord wants you to read a book called Monk and Guess by Michael Harper. Now we can guess. By Michael Harper and read the fourth chapter called Water into Wine. So I have no idea why. Anyway, cut a long story short, I was going to a management course um, the following uh, week. Yep. So, so after, after I said this is not enough for me. And, um, and I, I managed to get that book and I was on the train reading this book and it was about a man on the train reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I was reading it, and it got to this fourth chapter, and I thought, this is such a dull, boring book. Um, but as I was reading it, some words of scripture absolutely jumped out at me, and I just knew I was filled with the Spirit. Just as the train was going through this Watford Junction railway station, about 100 miles an hour. You know, all, all, all the other people I was working with were over there, and I was over here, uh, just having this hoedown with the Lord, you know. Not speaking in tongues, just, I just knew it, I'd been touched. Yeah. And anyway, it went down to, um, it was down in the south of England, a hotel right on the coast. And uh, the last night of the course, I was absolutely pie hard drunk. Because <laughs> that was a problem I had as a Christian, was I used to do a lot of drinking before, and I still had it as a Christian, and I'm a bit ashamed of it, really. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the last night of the course, I am going to the Australia bit, okay? <laughs> That's fine. Uh, um, Last night of the course, I was pie-eyed again, and I walked up the stairs to my room, and as I opened the door, I suddenly became stone-cold sober. Wow. And realised that God had actually blessed me so much, and here I was before a great and almighty God, absolutely candle-eyed. <laughs> but that was it, and I said, Father, never again. I'm not going to touch another drop. And I haven't. Please. That's 1974. Wow. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? And Instant sovereignty. <laughs> oh, absolutely. A few few weeks later, I spoke in tongues. And um, yeah, so there we go. So what happened then um, was that uh, I was finishing this thesis and uh, I heard the voice of the Lord for the first time in a very real way. He yeah. said, I'm going to do something new in your life when you uh, finish this thesis. I thought, good. <laughs> you know, I'm not used to hearing the Lord in the Baptist Church quite like that. And uh, anyway, about two, three months later, we were asked to put up two people who were part of a team going from the South of England to the North of England. And uh, we had to pick them up at the prayer meeting on the Friday night. So um, I, w I went up to the prayer meeting. I wasn't normally going to prayer meetings on Friday nights. So, yeah. And <laughs> as I walked towards the meeting, there was such an anointing. That's what I call it now. Yes. I didn't know there was. All I, all I heard was this music. It was so tremendous. And uh, there was a team of people there, and I'd never seen such life in my life. Yeah. It was amazing. 
And uh, the, the guy who was actually um, the leader of the team, he, he was from Australia. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, he was just so full of life. I, I was really fearing for the chair. He said, well, you know, because yeah. if you're not careful, you break that thing. And uh, anyway, there was such anointing. Uh, God loves me and I love you. And it just went on, you know, the whole singing thing. Anyway, he, he, he got up to speak and he's speaking with great anointing. I know that now. I didn't know then. It was a great power. And anyway, he prayed for this lady who I knew, who, who also was a reasonably new Christian. And she fell on the floor. And I thought, oh my goodness, what happened there? I'm not used to that. So I, I stood up and I fell on the floor. Yeah. And um, that was the start of uh, a whole thing for me. Mm. That night, my life changed. It literally changed. There was an impartation to my life that night that came. And I can't deny it. I've yeah. written about it. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked about it. it. It was like the Word of God um, went from black and white to total colour. Mm. Um, my vision moved from being very narrow because, you know, if, if, if you've written off your dad, you, you, you have to look after yourself, hey, you self-protect. Yes. And so your whole vision gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. But actually, um, when God actually says, I'm your protection, it's amazing. Your, your vision can go so much wider. Again, much wider. Much wider. 360 degrees it became. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the, the third thing that I got to really enjoy was the fact of the anointing. I had no idea what it meant at the time. Mm. Um, now, I never expected to see that team again. They were just staying one night. Um, the, next, the next morning I went around and thanked the team for, for being here and really enjoyed it. Never expected to see them again. Yeah. And um, what actually happened was um, the Australian contingent carried on and went somewhere else, but the rest of the team who were from Vancouver and Canada came back. And so we, uh, we had some more meetings and they helped us to understand what we'd gone through. And at one point I asked the, the new leader of the team if they minded if I prayed for them. And um, I prayed for her and she fell over. I wow. Like, wow, this doesn't happen in the Baptist church. <laughs> from they didn't kick you out? The Baptist church. No, the centre's out. Oh, the same thing. Yeah. No, no. Anyway, so, so that's what actually happened at that, that point. And, um, the next year, um, well, I, I got this thing where the Lord said, I want you to be in Canada the last two weeks of March, first two weeks of April. This would be 1976. I had no idea why. And all I could get when I asked was, gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I know nothing. <laughs> and uh, it's very clear. And there's a whole lot to the story of how we got there. Um, I've written it in my book. And, um, and uh, all I know is we, we, we flew from uh, London to Vancouver. And when we got to the um, airport, the folks were part of this team that had gone there. Yes. And uh, they said, oh, look, there's an all night prayer meeting at the church. Do you want to come? Straight after flight. Straight after flight. <laughs> Now, the one thing that had happened in between um, the team and us going on this was Isabel and I had sat there on our city and said, what are we going to do? Yeah. Because we were just full of it. You know, it was a, like a, a bomb waiting to explode somewhere. And um, 
but let's pray. And all we got was, you have a vision and I'll show you in Canada. Wow. So, got to Canada, went to this all night prayer meeting, walked through the door, and guess who was preaching? This bloke who had been to Bromsgrove the year before. Wow. He'd come from Australia, we'd come from London, and here we were. British Columbia. British Columbia. From two sides of the world. Yeah. To one. At the end of the meeting, and I mean, his preaching was absolutely amazing. It was just wonderful. He did. Anyway. <laughs> he, um, he walked up to me at the end of the meeting. Don't know whether he remembered me or not. And he said, but yea, thou hast a vision to be shown within a few days. Spun on his heels and walked out the room. Oh, my goodness me. <laughs> and anyway, um, became... Um, we, we went to all the meetings that he was involved in, and because I played the guitar and taken it with me, and I played it as far as he was concerned with the anointing, I, I started to do a lot of the worship leading for yeah. him. And um, we um, we went with him to Toronto and became worship leaders for his team in Toronto. And the modus operandi of his ministry was he would teach on the gifts of the Spirit in the morning. And he would minister at night, uh, evangelist, evangelistic outreach. And so we worked with him there for three weeks in Toronto. We saw some amazing stuff. <laughs> amazing stuff. There were, there was, it was really hard yakka for a while. Um, but the hotel we were staying in, um, the ladies had to be in one place and the men had to be in another because there were just some onions there. Yeah. And uh, I was sharing a, a room with, with this evangelist, and uh, he said that it's, it's really hard at the moment. They'll kick us out with the church if something doesn't happen. Anyway, <laughs> he woke up one morning because that's what they did. Yeah. It was like a who's who. The, the bigger the preacher you could get, the better the number of people would come in. And um, anyway, he said, uh, Lord's given me the key to that. It's a bit like. The Lord's been playing chess, chess mate with the, with the devil, and today's checked him. Yeah. So I thought well, that's interesting. Got to the meeting, and there would be about 150 people in the meeting. And at one point, there was a lady down the front, and he said, Have you ever moved in the word of knowledge? No. Would you like to? Yes. So he prayed for her, and she, she had a word of knowledge. There was somebody in the meeting who had a, 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 an amount of money, ran about $100 slightly more than $100 hmm. um, and there's a need for that. I thought, oh, we'll get the head out and go around, you know. Yeah. Uh, but no, what happened, a lady um, stood up halfway down the, the meeting and she said, in absolute tears, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to be thrown out of our house unless I've got $107 by Friday. Wow. Um, my husband's been drinking and, and gambling and our money's gone. And I thought, well, put a hand out, you know, let's get beaten. But another lady down the back, come from a really rough part of Toronto yeah. and she said she jumped up to her feet and ran to the front and said I've got $107 here because I came out of my house without any money um, but uh, what happened she said Lord said I need you to go back get $107 bring it to the meeting because I haven't needed that money hallelujah just like that and uh, so to the, to the dollar to the dollar and uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> you can imagine everybody was very happy about that. But what started to happen then in those meetings, it was like there was a release in the things of the Spirit. Yeah. And I remember this one, one night, um, 
the, the leaders simply, and I want you to go over there and pray for people with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to pray for people that are getting saved over here and healed over there. So I was at this one on this left-hand side uh, for, the, for the performance of the Spirit. And as people walked towards me, I felt my arms just get so heavy. Yeah. I've never felt that again. Yeah. My arms, it's just like having diver's weights, you know, yeah. how they keep them around that. And, and as my, my uh, hand went up like this, it was so heavy. The people wouldn't even get anywhere near me. And they'd fall over backwards speaking in tongues. Yeah. And I thought, my goodness gracious, man, what's all this? I mean, I'm just from a Baptist church, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, you can imagine as we got back to um, to uh, Birmingham after this, went to the Baptist church. <laughs> it was a little bit much for the Baptist church. Of course. And for ourselves. And, uh, you know, we, we started to think, well, how do we, what, what happens next? Yep. And um, cut a long story short, which is obviously getting long, um, we... we kept in contact with this evangelist and in Australia in Australia mm -hmm. and we became a part of this team in various parts of the world and at one point um, traveled through 13 countries in uh, five and a half months by faith wow um, had 50 pounds when I left England and I could have brought it back after five and a half months of traveling as an evangelist with him just being there to play the guitar just by yourself or with your with, wife with no not not with my wife just on your own my wife, my wife was back home with two kids. She had two. Working. Yeah, she had two five pound a week jobs. Wow. Clean. Mm. And she was um, looking. Uh, she was doing some visitation for a church in Birmingham, and uh, I was out, I was earning nothing. Yeah. And uh, God kept us. Wow. And at one point, um, I we were traveling through Hawaii, and the Lord said, uh, "I'm going to join your wife to you earlier than you thought." Oh, good. So I, I rang Isabella up and I said, um, I get the kids, cut off my passport, because you know, I couldn't get on two passports. Um, I have no idea where you're going to meet up with me. I have no idea how you're going to get here. Yeah. Um, but you are. So she put in for a, um, I, th I think probably a good idea to meet up in Australia. Hmm. So she, she replied to the um, Australian embassy in England. Um, and on the Monday, she got the visa back in her new passport and no money. On the Wednesday, £2,000 arrived. Whoa. And she was in Perth a week and a half later. Praise God. And that's While you were still in Hawaii? Well, no, I was in Guam or Tokyo or somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and I just arrived in, in Perth on the one that week and she came a week later. Nice. Oh, uh, yeah. And that really happened to us. You know, I can hardly believe it. I mean, I was only nothing. She was only next to nothing. Yeah. And God just did it, put us together, brought us here to Perth. Then she was sick here and needed treatment. If, if she hadn't been here, I'd have to have gone back home. Mm. And um, I believe that's when the Lord called us to Australia. Yeah. That's how everything just fell into place. Fell into place. Um, Anyway, I went traveling on my own across Asia, left the team here, yeah. and on my own went through various places like Indonesia and Malaysia and Bangladesh and Nepal and Sri Lanka. Right back in England on, on a Tuesday, about a week earlier than I 
Christ, I was yeah. tired after five nights. Right? We had no idea what we were going to do next. So on the Friday night, we prayed and said, Lord, what are we going to do now? Mm. And I had no idea. The next day, two people came and they said, would you consider the pastoral evangelistic oversight of our church? Mm. Straight out of the blue. Here in Perth? No, in, in England. In England. And so that's what we did for two years. Yeah. And in that church, which was an evangelical church, yeah. not Pentecostal, yeah. we saw a great revival. Mm. We saw a revival in that church. It's in the city centre, well, not city centre of Birmingham, but it was a, uh, in the city suburb of Birmingham. Yeah. We saw many people come to faith, many people filled with the Spirit in this evangelical church. It was mm. a good evangelical church, but the, it was a tremendous, sovereign work of God. And we're so privileged to be there. Mm. And so we, we left there, uh, we were sent out by our Baptist church, because <laughs> yeah. they'd helped sponsor our Bible college. We went to Birmingham Bible Institute um, for about a year and a half, and did an awful lot of travelling into, into in, in Israel as well as other places. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I must tell you this story about Israel. Um, we were in Vancouver, I was in Vancouver, this is yeah. back. And, uh, <laughs> Somebody had this outrageous statement. If anybody who wants to go to Israel will stand in the middle, God will provide for them to go. So you stood up? I stood up. <laughs> and I, I really got this, yeah, I'm going. And um, went home, told Isabel, she said, sounds great to me. But the thing was, nobody in the history of the Bible College had ever gone out in term time, in 25 years of the history of the Bible College. And uh, so we invited the vice principal to come round and. Um, he said, well, what, what is it? Come on, spill the beans, wait. And so I told him, and he said, well, it's never been done, yeah. never been allowed. Mm. But he said, look, the kind of ministry you're associated with, um, I'm happy to... Um, uh, Make the concession. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to the staff. So before, before the staff meeting on that particular day, I was praying. <laughs> and you know what? I got, I got absolute faith. Yeah. Just the burden left. Goodness, I've got it. And anyway, that's what we did. Mm. So we went to Israel and part of the team, there was a good lady by the name of Ruth Heflin, who may or may not have heard of that. She had a real burden in the ministry in the nations. Yeah. And um, yeah, we had meetings everywhere across the Middle East, from uh, Athens through to uh, Jordan, Israel, and Greece. Wow. Yeah, that was great. So anyway, now where was I? So we ended up coming to Australia. Yeah. So that was, um, so we had some friends here in Perth. So we arrived uh, Easter 1981 mm. with very little baggage. We never expected to be here any length of time. And uh, the children came as well. The children came. Yeah. We had three children by then. Mm -hmm. So one was eight, next one four, and the, the littlest was a year and a half. And so somebody moved out of the house and let us live in their house for a while. Somebody gave us an old bomb as a car to get around in, and uh, we had no money, mm. no income. The British, British wouldn't give us money because we'd left. The Aussies yeah. wouldn't give us any money because we'd had just come. Yeah. So we were just saying, what? <laughs> and it was tough. Mm. And my mum would send the occasional 50 pound check. Nice. And, uh, but that really- Didn't happen. go much. No, then one, after, some bits. one afternoon, the Lord said, can I look in the letterbox? So I went to the letterbox. And there were three $20 notes wrapped up in newspaper in an envelope. Hmm. And that kept on coming for about three months. 
wow. until our whole situation changed. You know, Jehovah Jireh, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's where we came to. That's how we came to Australia. Wow. You can see why I needed a bit of time to tell you. That's fine. I mean, the miracles that God has done in your life are just amazing. It is amazing. How, how did we? We only came on the temporary residence visa. Yeah. And, and then we were, we spent a time here in Perth, um, and then um, I just felt the Lord say, "Go, go to Canberra." Mm-hmm. Um, Canberra. There were four places that I felt were, were turning points for our lives. Significant yeah. turning points. One was Vancouver, and it yeah. was slow. Yep. Um, Canberra was the second one. Um, uh, Poland, uh, Warsaw in Poland, and the third one is Finland. Mm-hmm. So those are places. Um, so Vancouver was certainly a turning point for us. And then we went to, um, I went to Canberra. Yeah. Full of, you know, and it was like a, a week of walking in the spirit. I had no idea what I was going to do next. Uh, but there were just this little hint, so I do this and I do that. And I just spent a week doing that. And there was a scripture that came up. You know, when I opened the door, I opened the door. When I shut the door, I shut the door. And, yeah, that's very clear. And look, just this one day, I thought, I don't know why I did it. Mm. But I went into the Telecom Australia office and was talking to them. Said, in well, camera? In camera. I said, we, we actually don't have any jobs. Mm. Um, but tell you what, we'll create one for you. <laughs> and you have to be prepared to become an Australian uh, citizen. Well, permanent resident. Yeah. And I hadn't thought of that. And I said, okay. Yeah. So I flew back to Perth and ended up... Sorted out your citizenship or your well, permanent residence. Permanent residence. I remember sitting at the, um, the immigration office. That, um, we were sitting there as a family. because It was quite hard to get these things. Mm. And this guy walks in with, with the folder and he sits down, looks at this, opens this file, job offer from Telecom Australia, application, shut the, shut the thing, so what should we talk about? That was it. Yep. We got permanent residency of Australia. <laughs> Just like that. And my mother, who was over at that time, she was 81. Yes. She paid for the fee. Wow. I thought, I'll tell you what, when you, if you're 81 and you're, paying, you're paying for your Daughters. family to disappear. <laughs> but she came over four times after she was 80. Mm. You know, I, I had the opportunity to go back on the money she'd saved for the fifth trip back here when she, she um, had an operation and never recovered. Mm. So, yeah, so that's Canberra. So we lived in Canberra for four and a half years, and I was saying, Lord, why are we in Canberra? Apart from the work. The Lord said one day, I want you to go and visit the, um, all the embassies uh, in, Australia, in, in Canberra. Yeah. I want you to pray in every one. Took me two and a half years. Mm. I was 65 wow. at that stage. I always thought that one to Israel would have been the most difficult, which it was. I walked in through the door and thought, how am I going to get in here and pray for any length of time? Yeah. And what, what actually happened, just for two weeks, I was in charge of the lightning protection and investigation uh, branch of um, Telecom Australia. And, and, uh, so that opened doors. And that somebody was had their hand on their telex machine uh, during the lightning storm and they got thrown across the room. And so we were called in. No. So, so the team came in and I was talking to the ambassador. Yeah. Um, about what happened, and I was praying under my breath all of the time. I thought, can't you suck Hallelujah. Only two weeks. It was fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun to be fun walking like that. 
Yeah. And then you came back here. Well, by yeah. Well, there's a whole story to that as well. You're interested in that? Well, what would you like to share with with our listeners? Okay. Um, well, in Canberra, um, I I met because we we really wanted to be involved in mission. Yes. And uh, I've had that call in my life for many many years. Mm. And um, the church we were in, the pastor said, "I believe in people getting saved, but not in." in not in overseas mission, it's Australia only. Yeah. And so I said to the Lord, well, Lord, uh, tell you what, Lord, you, you're going to have to change that bloody... By the 30th, 31st of October, I'm going home. Mm. Back to England. Yeah. I don't know why I said that, but I did. You wouldn't believe it. But either the 30th or 31st of October, this pastor rang me up and said, would you take a team from here, this church, into uh, Asia mm. on behalf of our church? Beautiful. want you to lead it. And so um, I did that, and uh, we, were, we, got hard, we were with a group called in uh, Indonesia called Indonesia. And for 27 years, I was involved with them, going in and out of Indonesia, about once or twice a year for 27 years. We wow. saw that church grow from 300 people to 35,000 in one place um, and about five to 600 churches right across Indonesia. My word. Yeah. That's massive. And I saw it happening. I was part of it. Nice. I was doing this training of it, uh, part of it. Not, yeah. You know. And uh, just having seen signs and wonders, miracles happen. From Jakarta? No, 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 no. From Sumatra. North Sumatra. Okay, Medan. Medan. Yeah, yeah. And Do you know uh, Johnny Pardini? I've heard of him. But I was particularly with uh, Gorejik mm -hmm. and Nanangan in Indonesia, which Reverend Dr. Benjamin Monte. And he was my friend. In fact, I became part of the family. Nice. Because we, they like that, aren't they? Yeah. When you make relationships with people, they, they, you're part of the family. Nice. So like Toba? Oh, yeah, yeah. Batak people. Oh, love the Batak people. Love it. Yeah. They're, they're fantastic people. Really love I've, I've done quite a bit of ministry in Indonesia, so I'm familiar with those places. Yeah. We probably, uh, you were probably there long before my time. 85 was one yeah. of those ones. Yeah. And, you know, the amazing thing to me is that this group, this church, was so evangelistic. Mm. They really were. And they, they were seeing something in the order of about 300 people saved every week. That's amazing. Now, when you consider, how do you get 300 people saved every week, let alone a number enough people to have that kind of yeah. book, as it were? And um, discipling and integrating them in the family, absolutely. church family. Absolutely. I could, I could really go on about that family. I just learned so much working with those people. It's so humbling. But, yeah. you know, they're... There was one church there, I went there three years on the trot, and there was some, a blind person standing in the same spot. And every time that prayed for that blind person in that spot in that church, they got healed. Wow. Yeah, you guarantee it. Nice. It was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. And that, that ministry really does function on the signs and wonders. Yeah. In a way I'm not seeing. And the number of times I've been to baptisms, there were 500 people. <laughs> oh, I know how to do it. I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. 
yeah, it's just fantastic. Just, just so lovely. I mean, obviously, we couldn't do all that because we were overseas people. We couldn't get fully into it all. Um, we were just enjoying it and just enjoying. And at the same time, um, a lot of the time that I was going there, we were pioneering a church in Mandurah. Oh. And so that really helped us a lot. I was also working as an engineer at the same time as well. So it's been quite a busy life. Yes. Um, and the church is still going today. It's called, um, what's it called? Elevate Church, something like that. Elevate. Yeah. And uh, they've just uh, knocked out all the walls so that they can get more people in there. So, so it's still going. We we started it on uh, 88. What was it? Uh, like 1st of May, 1988. And it's still going today. Beautiful. Because they're building and we rejoice in that. Nice. Yeah. It's nothing nothing like pioneering a church to sort you out. <laughs> in a little bit different. Anyway. So, Where are you today? What are you doing today? What are we doing today? Um, well, I started on the father heart thing. That's mm -hmm. big to me. Yes. Because I found a lot of keys to what it means to have the heart of a son mm -hmm. and how to become a son. And that to me is huge. Um, I've discovered very clearly that I'm a son of God. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say the son of God. Once. But in Roman, Romans 8, it talks about the sons of God. Yep. And I'm very aware that um, I'm not just a disciple, I'm not just a servant, but I'm actually a son. Yeah. It was Paul. I could never understand it why Paul, um, you know, he, he was sure he'd been called to be a minister and a witness, but he was so glad to be called a son. I could never understand it. Mm. But I, but I realise now why. Because he was just, his, it was his father. Yeah. Going to be with father one day. Mm. And it's not going to be a fear thing, it's going to be an absolute love thing. Yeah. And we've sensed this incredible love. How can John write about God is love without experiencing it? Yeah. You know, he, he didn't write that as a theological thing. Yeah. He wrote it because he experienced it. Mm. Paul wrote it because he experienced the subject. Yep. Yep. But I but I also realized that um, for Jesus to be the Son of God as he was, he had to have a relationship with his father. Mm. It was so close. In fact it wasn't just close, it him Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not three people, but they are, but you know what I'm yeah, saying, yeah. the Trinity. But, but just the understanding that for us to have a relationship as close as we can to the Father means we can become real Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Without that, we, are we really a Christian if we don't recognize we're a son, just as Jesus was to his Father? That's what I understood about the, the whole thing of needing how do I become a father? How do I become a son? Like Jesus was a son to his father, where, yeah. he, where he said, it's so good to do what the father desires. But I see the father. Yeah. yeah. The father just wants the will of the father. Yeah. Mm. And you see, as, as, a, as a young man, I cut my dad out. Yeah. And I realized that by cutting my dad out, I'd actually no longer, that part of me that would actually receive the love of a father actually couldn't do it. Mm. It's a, it's a very deep thing, but it's very real as well. And when, when I realised that, I realised I've got to get my heart right with my natural dad. But how do you do that when he's been dead for 30-something years? Mm. And it took time. Um, but let me just go to, go to the crux of it. Yes. There was one day in the, in the Lord where, where I understood that I needed to have mercy for my mum yep. and I needed to have mercy for, for my dad. Yeah. 
for both of them because I knew that whatever whatever the problem was, mm. that I was going to forgive them anyway. I was mm. going to have mercy on them. Yeah. And when I had mercy on my mum and dad, both dead for 30 plus years, it was like God said to me, and I had that same mercy upon you. Wow. That you can really love forgiveness yeah. and to forgive people. Wow. That's so huge. Anyway, so what are we doing now? <laughs> um, we're, we're part of the church called Without Walls. Yeah. I'm part of the leadership team there. Um, so I've got two aspects, really. Um, we've been doing um, work with Father Hart um, yes. in New Zealand and doing some seminars in our church mm-hmm. on that as well. But I work with some, some men who are in a... Um, in a, and that's not a rehab, we call it a discipleship house. Yes. And then men who've been in prison or have had things happen in their lives which yes. has meant that they need to take time out. Mm. And I love working with those guys. Mm. You know, I really do. I, I just think it's just tremendous. You, know, wow. you, you talk about Shalom and they have many people there. Yeah. You know, but I, I mean, I just love working with these guys. Yeah. You know, I would have been like them, but fortunately I didn't do what they did. Yeah. I would have been exactly the same. Yeah, probably but, worse. Well, I, I remember never myself know. walking one, because of my relationship with them, I remember one day walking down the street and I was so angry. Mm. I think if anybody had crossed me at that point, I would have probably done something. Mm. And I, yeah, the anger, the depth of the anger that was there, is not on them. <laughs> what would you like people um, to remember you by? What's the legacy they're building to live on for generations to come? I think it has to be in regards to um, intergenerational care and life. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the best hope that we've got. Uh, Malachi 4 verse 5 talks about the restoration the, of the, you know, the father's, heart. father's heart to the, to the sons and the sons of the father. I, that would be the biggest thing as far as I'm concerned. The other scripture that goes with that is Ezekiel 36 where it talks about the softening of the heart. Those things to me are, are just paramount because it, you, when your heart is hard, it's so difficult to to forgive people, to work with people, to hear from God, yeah. all those things. You can't do it. Mm. Yeah. And so how are you going to forgive you? You know, your, your children are blocked off to you. <laughs> yeah. And my heart was that way one yeah. time. But you know what? One time, I was in my quiet time one morning, and this is so significant for anybody that wants to walk this walk in a way. And I was just praying, and I saw my heart come from behind my mind. Yeah. I said, oh, I can see my heart come from behind my mind. This is a vision I was having. Mm. I saw my heart come from behind my mind. And I felt the Lord say, now you give me your heart. But I've already given you my heart. Give it me again. Yeah. And so I did. And for about a, a year after that, I was a bit like a wild rumby. Mm. Because I protected my heart with my brain. Yeah. It's my own self-protection. But now it's just letting God be my protection. Mm. And, and to me, um, I had a hard heart, but he softened me. Yeah. That's what the whole point of the gospel is about, that we can have a soft heart, mm. in, my, in my opinion. Because you can't really love if you've got a hard heart, but a soft heart, yeah. Beautiful. 
So that, that's what my legacy I would like to be. Um, and I love my children. I'm so glad to have them. Yes. I'm so glad to have my nine grandkids. I'm so glad to be able to work with the people in our church. Many of those people have been scoundrels. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they just do what they do. And uh, there's, a, there's a fair percentage of them in our church in that way. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an absolute joy to work with these guys. Yeah. They're so hungry for the things of God. Mm. So hungry. You know, it's just ridiculous how hungry they are. They come up with these wonderful revelations, you know. This is what I'm saying. They, 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 you know, one guy the other week, he, he said, such and such. And I, he said, well, I can't explain it. And I said, guess what, mate? <laughs> if you can't explain it, you've got it in your heart. God's actually going to show you it over the next weeks and months yes. what it is you've got. Mm. And that's yours. Mm. Oh, that people can get it. That's so beautiful. Glenn, I just, I'm, I'm wrapped, you know, I love just hearing your stories and I think we could sit here for hours just yeah. un, unpacking and unpacking, but um, I'm just blessed and I'm sure our listeners and our viewers are blessed uh, by, by the heart that you have and the energy that you have to share the heart of the Father. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this amazing interview and uh, Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need to be a true son or daughter. Maybe the Lord has put it on your heart to go and say, I'm sorry, and restore that relationship with your folks. And um, once you're a son and you have that identity sorted out as a son or daughter of the living God, maybe then you can step into the fatherhood and motherhood and bless others who are on the journey as well so you can father them with the Father's heart. I'm sure you love this content, so please subscribe, share, talk to others about it. Come back again to Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Look up Glenn Jenkins as well in his books. What are the books called? Roots, Roots and Wings. Roots, Roots and Wings. Routes, actually. R-O-U-T-E. Ah, Routes. Yeah, Roots, Routes and Wings. Roots, Routes and Wings. Yes. All right, look that up and hopefully you get a copy of it. Um, I'm Natalia Costia and this is Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.